0: the way in which we communicate matters, the history of the person matters, all of this stuff matters all at the one time. And yes, we can optimize for outcomes with training and and all of that sort of stuff. But ultimately, we're living in a subjective world. We're dealing with subjective people and trying to make everything objective and in the physical realm and all of that. Like I just feel like we're missing a huge portion of what actually is important in this whole endeavor of training and life.
1: That was Strength Culture's Jamie Smith, and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Lost Empire Herbs, and I want to tell you how you can get one of their flagship products, Pine Pollen, here for free with only the normal cost of shipping. So Long story short, quick background, Lost Empire Herbs has been a sponsor of this show for some time. I absolutely love their product line. I love getting supplements that are based out of nature with absolute minimal processing. And Lost Empire Herbs uh, CEO, Logan Christopher, has been a guest on the show multiple times, originally talking about his mental training concepts, uh, his background as a man, and then and finding that he also ran an herbalism company. I ordered the Phoenix Formula, which is one of their main products. I noticed a reduced dependence on caffeine, increase in my energy, and eventually, and I hadn't actually expected this, but an increase in my strength. And one of the key ingredients in Phoenix Formula is pine pollen. Pine pollen is awesome in terms of hormonal support, energy, endurance levels, and athletes I've talked to who have used it have loved it. Uh, you can get your free sample of pine pollen by heading to Just Fly pine Pollen. com That is JustFlyPinePollen.com. If you want 15% off anything else in the store, you can use the code JustFly at checkout at LostEmpireHerbs.com for things like the Phoenix formula, shilajit resin, and so much more. I highly recommend the company, so be sure to check out Lost Empire Herbs. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Great to have you here. Today, we have one of, well, several Jamie Smiths out there in the world of sport and human performance, uh, there's Jamie Smith of the U of Strength, James Smith or James the Thinker Smith of amongst many things governing dynamics of sport. Uh, and on today's podcast, we have coach, educator, and owner of Melbourne Strength Culture, Jamie Smith. Jamie worked or has worked at high level strength and conditioning in Australia and the United States prior to starting Strength Culture. Now he's heavily involved in coach development and education for strength, co- uh, for strength coaches and fitness professionals. Jamie has a truly expansive viewpoint on how we consider training in light of more global or broad-reaching concepts. So for the podcast today, he'll be talking about the global concepts of biopsychosocial dynamics, so a big word which simply refers to biology, psychology, and social pieces of an individual and their background, and we'll oftentimes uh, just shortcut or abbreviate that as BPS. And Jamie will be talking about the concept and how it applies to training athletes and clients and people just seeking to be the best that they can be. Uh, We'll also talk about top-down and bottom-up models of thinking and how we prescribe work and then coach athletes through that work. He'll talk about building awareness in the athlete or client and many other concepts on this show. Jamie is a brilliant coach. It was awesome talking to him. One thing, we will be jumping straight into our conversation here, and actually before the episode comes on, Jamie, and before we click the microphone on, Jamie was talking about his push-pull run competition, which has exploded in Melbourne. It is a deadlift bench press and a mile run competition, and then we'll jump in on the tails of that. So again, awesome talking to Jamie. Such a brilliant and expansive thinker and really helps put Training and a great perspective for us. So enjoy the conversation. I had that on the question list. I was kind of, I put it on there a little bit almost as a joke, but it was in my mind because I think the women's beer mile world record just went down. And yeah. the beer mile is where you have to, you chug a beer, do a lap, chug a beer do a lap chug a, yeah. beer, do a lap, chug a beer, do a lap, chug a beer, do a lap. And if you throw up, you have to run a penalty lap or something. And the world record is like, it's under five minutes for the men. And the, the women's world record is 543. Yeah. And, and I just think I was like, that's, I mean, that's really impressive. <laughs> I, think, I think if the average yeah, person tried that, it would probably be like 10 minutes or something well, or There, more, there would
0: know? 100% be people training to optimize the beer mile, w- yeah. without a doubt. Like, that, there'd be some...
1: Uh, yeah, biohacks too. Biohacking the system <laughs> yeah. you know, to mitigate you know the effects, your stomach and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm sure.
0: Yeah. Overload with two beers instead of one in the off-season and then... Bring it down, like yeah, no, nah, there'd be people trying to optimize. How do you like periodize?
1: Yeah, you would be really periodizing it. Like you'd have all the charts and graphs, all right? This is your max, you know, drinking phase right here. This six-week block, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah as in, probably speaking in opposition to what we're going to get into with the PPS model type stuff. But even, yeah. even, um, you know, kind of somewhat in the spirit of that, we used to do a milk, uh, milk jug mile with the. We had this like track Olympics back when I was coaching track at Wilmington College, and we kind of had all the teams, like the throwers and jumpers, they would all like kind of split up and had captains. And the last event, you got the points for different events. And the last event was four by 400 meters, but the baton was a gallon of milk. And so, you had to drink however much and then you ran, you did your 400 and then what happened a lot of times was the throwers like there'd be a thrower who'd just like <laughs> drink like three three quarters of it and walk, <laughs> and then and then you'd get you know some fast guy you'd have to take a sip and run as fast as they could. It was, but I, there was actually it, the <laughs> I don't know what a lot of people thought about that, but the, I know that the cross country runners some of them loved it so much they they went back and did it on their own for fun. I guess later at some really? other point I don't know if, I didn't wouldn't think I guess to set the record I think that's what their their yeah. goal was so. They're hardcore, yeah. man. You plug that mentality into a lot of things.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, it's just competitive. Like, it's it's competition. It's it's enjoyment. It's it's finding, I think, the community aspect of, of things, like similar to what you are saying there where you're like, um, like you used to just, ta- when you took your training outside, like it just made you feel better. You enjoyed it more. Like all of those sort of things, they matter to these outcomes. And then, like, this is like, a, I, I think, I know we chatted off air, but like this BPS sort of, like I feel like there's just so much value to finding these sort of endeavors and and building them in and trying to like create this sort of stuff with your training and and ultimately like everything in life um because it does it makes such a it's it makes such a big impact for the just your overall outcome of everything so yeah yeah I think I think it's massive
1: all right so let's uh let's talk about the bps model a little bit it's funny because I've had a lot of podcasts with this in mind, but I actually didn't, I honestly, seriously didn't even see the term and definition and research for BPS model until probably like a month ago or something. I'm so, I'm so late on that. I mean, I, it's been, I've been doing shows on the mind and psychology and training environment or with those pieces in mind for a while now, but I, I, I haven't actually seen that this is, this is a thing that people are putting together and, and defining and. So anyways, I I am curious uh maybe in a very general statement or very general question, uh what is it and, and how what's some some generalities of how you consider it in your training model and what you are looking for at your gym?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um the the way that the BPS model is typically uh sort of conceptualized is like this idea of like the venn diagram like three parts of a venn diagram that have like overlapping areas and then we have a, a, a biological portion of that venn diagram one of the circles is biological um the way i like to think about that is it's the human's hardware so it's 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 the physical nature of the human so it's all of your biology your uh your anthropometry your Your physiology, your anatomy, all of that, like that all just lives in the the biological sort of sense of uh, the BPS model. Then we have uh, two other circles, one being psychological, which the way I like to frame that is like it's your software. Um, So it's your thoughts, feelings, behaviors, your expectations, um, your experiences, your upbringing, like all of these like psychological sort of impacts on a human uh, and influences on a human. And ultimately, those psychological things shape uh, the lens that we actually look and observe the world through. Um, so, that would be the hardware, biological, the software, uh, psychological. And then the, the final one is this social. Sometimes in, in, in science, uh, it's reported as social cultural impacts. Um, and then I, the way I like to view that, it's simply just the environment in which we place the human. Obviously, uh, there's like a. A, a progression of social sort of influences on a person. So like religion is a big one that's often discussed. But like uh if you're brought up in a Catholic versus uh maybe like a Muslim uh religion as a child, that is going to shape the way in which you view uh and and the beliefs in which you hold for a whole bunch of different things that impact your life and and how you observe and take in information as you grow and develop and and start to move into adulthood and all of that sort of stuff. So social, cultural would just be, I like to view it as just the environment in which the person has come up, Um, and then ultimately those three factors, biological, psychological, and social, when they interact together, and this is why it's sort of represented as a Venn diagram, when they interact together, it's kind of this all-encompassing sort of influence uh, that impacts a human. And 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 why, at an individual level, we will always be individuals, and why we may observe the same event or undergo the same process as someone else. However, we come out with two completely different outcomes on the other end. It's because at the end of the day, we are fundamentally at our biological, at our psycho, uh, psychosocial, and cultural uh, sort of impacts. We are individuals. So it's it's an understanding that we're never going to get the same outcome. Um, our thoughts feelings behaviors our expectations shape the way in which we enter processes whether it be training or whether it just be life like i i truly believe that the bps model is the most all-encompassing model to view what we do and why we do things and 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 how we can better improve outcomes for training or or, or really just anything in life so i think that's probably the that's how i frame it anyway yeah
1: yeah, I think uh, it is interesting. You, I mean, I, I'd imagine a lot of people. Would, uh, the way I perceive a lot of people looking at training is instead of a Venn diagram, with you have know, the three circles that are look like a triangle and how they're set up, and then they have an interlapping section. I think a lot of people look at it. Um, and and i think there's there's some truth to this <laughs> but it's almost like the 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 core is physical it's almost as if there's one circle and that's physical and then a bunch of other like little circles around it you know it's the mental's nice Oh, the cultural's nice <laughs> yeah, but it's but it's more important than that and that's why i like like that venn diagram showing look like culture is important belief system is really important and i know for me and the time i was able to spend especially when i was at cal and you're as a strength coach, it's cool because you're able to spend time with a lot of different team sport coaches and especially working in Olympic sports, you have a lot of coaches you work with and being able to work with uh, the swim program there was incredible. And the coaches there were very you could just tell it was such a priority team culture and psychology and belief. And I sometimes I almost feel like there was conversations about athletes where that was brought up even more than, like physical nuances because i think those coaches realize very quickly how how quickly you could get into hair splitting especially from the perspective they carry because to them all that they care about is that the athlete swims faster (laughs) it doesn't matter if you do this little nuance or that little trick in the weight room did they swim faster and and they see very clearly the impacts of those those three things and you work with athletes long enough and you realize yeah like you said you could run all these athletes through the same training program Um, and have athletes end up with a different result and then you look at those two athletes who got a different result and you see different belief systems or self-limiting beliefs or expectations or maybe they did a training program before that they were like oh well, this can't the training program be more like the one i did you know, before you know just different things like that i'm sure i was gonna ask oh, you, you know, oh sorry go ahead.
0: yeah oh, no, i was just gonna say there's so many examples in which um there's so many examples that 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 ring true with with that sort of sentiment. That you could put two athletes through this exact same program in the exact same gym and get two completely different um, outcomes. Like, and and a couple of that you, that you just said there was like the 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 expectation that things are going to work. Like when you discuss like in research, like placebo and mm-hmm. no CB responses to training or responses to an intervention or anything like that to me that is just this psychosocial world that we're living in it, it's it's just that you gave someone a sugar pill they trusted you first of all you're you're in an intervention they trust you they've come to you for advice you you've said hey take this pill and it will improve your symptoms it will prove your outcomes or whatever they trust you they believe you they take the sugar pill they have belief in this thing and then all of a sudden we start to see positive outcomes from a placebo Sort of intervention, and then the same thing with the no cb Like you can literally uh, really reduce performance simply by the way in which you sort of give someone a focus or shift their shift their focus away from an area or something else, like, and change the way in which they enter this situation, and then we start to see a downgrade in all of these performance outcomes simply for no real physiological reason. It's just this: you, you've told them one thing, they're focusing on the wrong thing, they've lost some. They've lost some belief, they've they've lost confidence and all of this sort of stuff. And all of a sudden, we see performance downgrade. Like these placebo and nocebo, they all live in this psychosocial sort of... So I I feel like we need to take a step back and try to view what is actually occurring. Not that we can quantify it. I think this is another thing that um, uh, people, when they first get... I made a meme about this, actually. But when people get first... Introduced to the BPS model. And then all of a sudden they take this this vantage that you can just like talk people in and out of a situation. And the, the classic one is pain. Someone hurts their shoulder, and then all of a sudden it's just like, oh, it's it's because you're stressed or blah, blah, blah. It's like it's just whatever. Like it's not real. It's a manifestation in your head and, and and pains in the brain. There's no physical damage, like all of this sort of stuff. Um, when all we're all we're doing then is trying to separate. This like Venn diagram away from the other stuff, but and identify and objectify one of the the influences. Where in reality, when you actually understand this model, you can't remove the physical from the psychological. You can't remove the cultural from the. you, You you can't pull this thing apart. It's as soon as you say something, how that is going to be perceived by an individual is a result of everything they've done in their whole life. So all of their past understanding their expectations of what that 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 conversation means is going to influence the positive or the negative outcomes of what you've just said so it's really just having an understanding that what we say matters and and how we say it and and in 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 certain contexts there'll be times where you can just talk someone into more performance and there'll be other times where just talking too much is limiting them and and all of this sort of stuff you just got to let an athlete be an athlete Um, it's just this like fully all encompassing idea. I don't even know. This is one thing I like to do. I like to just rant, but I don't even know if I answered your question there, but, um,
1: (laughs) yeah. (laughs) That's okay. That's so, it's, it's yeah. a tough way. Hey, I I I threw up a pretty tough question. Hey, tell me about the VPS and tell me generally yeah. how you use it. That's <laughs> If that's yeah. not a general, you know, kind of non-descript question that leaves it extremely open-ended and uh, the ability to go anywhere. I I definitely did that. So I I, I need to make it a little more specific here anyways.
0: Yeah. Uh, there's a Do you know th- um do you do you follow Sam Harris at all? Do you know who Sam Harris? is? I
1: know, I know who he is. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. The
0: neuro the neuroscientist.
1: Yeah, I, I've yeah. I think I've bought a couple of his books. Haven't really read, haven't hadn't read, read through them, but I'm at least familiar.
0: Yeah. Do you know the 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 theory of determinism versus free will?
1: I've heard I've heard about that theory. I know one of his books are interested in free will, but um, I haven't looked too much into that.
0: Yeah, it's like it's, it's kind of like this opposing sort of view of. Um, human reality where uh maybe we don't at a certain level and it could be the entire thing where we don't have like full control of our our sort of like trajectory of life and our 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 walk through life and, and the direction and the position that we ultimately end up because of deterministic responses to things that have happened in the past um compared yeah so Determinism is that we don't have any control of the direction and the future that we, that we move through. Whereas free will is that we have active conscious control of the decisions that we make and, and all of, all of the, the available opportunities that are in front of us. And we sort of like guide this ship through life. Determinism is that there's impacts that have already happened to us that are shaping the way in which our ship is moving and, and, and moving through life. Like, I think when we understand the BPS model, um, it's ultimately like it, it's it's just understanding that the future, oh, sorry, the, the, the past and what has influenced us to this point is ultimately going to shape the way in which we move forward through this. I don't think it's deterministic or free will in any sense, but I just know that the past influences what we see and the availabilities to us and, and how we navigate through our Sort of processes, whether that be training or career development or relationship development or family and and all of this sort of stuff. Like what has happened in the past influences us, so it's an important thing to, to try to better understand what has happened previously to people, or not shut it off. Like I think that's another big thing with this whole BPS. Uh, um, is like the classic one is is foam rolling. Like for foam rolling for years, like Kelly Starrett really built this thing up to become like this huge piece of the physical quality of nature of training, this tissue quality and breaking down adhesions and scar tissues and all of this. And a lot of people, as a result of that, they became somewhat attached to this physical representation of what something would become, where they're, 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 they're rolling on the floor and they're, they think and they believe that this is happening. they trusted Kelly, that bought his Supple Leopard book and they've started this and they're feeling better as a result of it. They're fundamentally feeling and going into sessions, feeling like they can access more range of motion. They're they're better prepared and all of this. And then for some coach to come along and just completely bash and say, that doesn't work. It, It doesn't do this. Scar tissue can't be adhered. You can't just pull tension on the body and it just deforms. Imagine what happens when you carry 200 kilos, like all this, and you just start like shitting on this idea and you're literally challenging a belief system that this person has had. Like this this journey to understanding and also this subjective feeling that they're getting better from just rolling on a blue roller on the floor um like who are you to say that that isn't actually improving their outcomes for performance um and 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 going in going into their session like you can't just go in and just shit on everything and become this like hyper abrasive person because ultimately that then makes negative a negative sort of situation within their their next endeavor of training, like oh fuck that guy. He told me this doesn't work, but I feel better. They start, mm-hmm. they start doubting themselves, and then all of a sudden, we're in another world where maybe we've just created negative outcomes for training because you've just been too abrasive and and all of that. So, like, I, it, it's just, it's just all encompassing. It and and a better understanding, I think, is that the way in which we communicate matters. The history of the person matters. All of this stuff matters. All at the one time. Uh, and yes, we can optimize for outcomes with training and, and all of that sort of stuff. But ultimately, we're living in a subjective world. Uh, we're dealing with subjective people um, and trying to make everything objective and in the physical realm and all of that. Like, I just feel like we're missing a huge portion of what actually is important in this whole endeavor of training and life.
1: Yeah, that's good. Um yeah. That's
0: my
1: recap. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Yeah. No, I love it. I was going to ask you, I had a couple other questions along those lines, but, uh, you know, based off what you were saying there, I would ask you, and I mean, pain, like foam rolling and, and, you know, sensation of discomfort or pain or whatever, like pain is a really, or pain science, from my understanding, is an extremely subjective thing. Like there's people who could have no tissue damage or issues. And be in pain and there's other people who could have serious issues and actually not be feeling pain and not that there's, um, I mean, there, I think there's a lot to that for sure. But from my understanding, it seems I think there's some things that um, are more and less subjective versus something that um, might be a little bit less subjective would be, well, if you want to get strong at the power lifts, well, you need to power lift. You know? I mean, of course, you could come along and find a different way to go about it, but do, does that make sense? I'm just, uh, and yeah. what I would ask is what things do you think are the most subjective in the sense of, and how I would look to treat, okay, well, look, if an athlete believes that I'm not going to mess with it versus what things do you think coaches should be more firm on in terms of, I guess you could say being a fundamentalist with these things and being less open to the subjectivity? Yep.
0: Yeah. So another model that I use, and, and I think this is the perfect uh, representation for this, is like this top down, bottoms up approach to training. Like, are you familiar with that? Uh, those two sort of uh, opposing ideas with training prescription or, or, or management of cl- clients or athletes, like top down, bottoms up?
1: I don't think so. But I mean, yeah, maybe in some way I've top. heard about it, yep. but maybe not with those terms. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cool. That's fine. So, top um, down. So, top-down, so I, I learned this. From Mike Tashira, who's who's a uh, an incredible thinker in the world of powerlifting. Like he was the one that brought RPE training to strength training. Like he he saw this this representation in like uh, cardio and like the Borg scale of six to twenty and relative heart rate and all of this sort of stuff and intensity and was like, we need something of this subjective nature to strength training and this this highly objective world of strength training where numbers and and it's just load on the bar and sets and reps, everything's objectified. Um, He was like, we need some sort of subjective Mm -hmm. scaling to see how does it actually feel to the human that's undergoing this process? Like, is it actually hard enough? And then ultimately, the RPA scale got sort of turned into this RIR scale. But Mike Tashira um, sort of really birthed bottoms up or reactive training to a very objective world, which is strength training and and, and powerlifting. Um, And ultimately, what he's sort of like philosophy of this bottoms-up world is that uh, we have to be um, cognizant that training, adaptation, and progress happens at an individual level. And there are going to be certain things that occur uh, when we implement a, a change in strategy or a change in the program that is going to impact an individual at their level and sort of meet them where they're at. And some people are going to get really strong with their traditional views of what strength training is, higher intensities, lower reps, moderate volumes, whereas other individuals, because of whatever choose your variable, but will see no response to that. And they're going to see really great response to Higher volumes, more moderate intensities, higher frequency training. And we're going to get all these different people. So it's just trying to build this like bottoms up strategy to manage an individual at an individual level, be reactive to the information that we're getting at the time and being able to adjust and build on the fly. Then we come and oppose that idea with like a top down strategy. So a top down strategy is our typical like constraints based modeling where. We're constrained by a whole bunch of different variables. So for powerlifting, we have to squat, bench press, and deadlift. They're all top-down variables that we have to manage. We have to push them towards a 1RM at some point. That's the testing that occurs. So we're constrained with that. We're maybe constrained with timelines because of competition periods. We're constrained by all of these things that we ultimately can't really change too much. So we're fixed within this world of a top-down lens. But we're trying to build from this bottom-up subjective expression of what training and adaptation is. And I think the most important thing, when, whether or not we're discussing pain, so pain, for the most part, it's very top-down. We're sort of limited in the initial stages of, of what is provocative, what is um, available to the person. Are they are they confident in their ability to go and, and push into pain or are they very, like, stand-backish and very, like, low demeanor, reserved because of the pain. It's really impacting them. They, they have no confidence. They no, have no belief. They have no self-efficacy. All of those sort of things are sort of top down. However, once we actually undergo the process of rehab and, and building through this, we start to see more bottoms-up elements presenting in the journey of this pain presentation where we begin to identify, hey, if we can do some of this stuff, let's lean into that and do more of that. And and then all of a sudden that starts to build and grow, and then we can start to apply load and build from there. So it's always this connection of like top down, we're stuck and we've got constraints that we have to work within. And then eventually training, I believe, should become very bottoms up where we begin to just adapt at the athlete level. We meet them where they're at. We, we, we collect data and see what works and and modify and build the plan forward from there. Um, so that would be it. So whether or not it's a, a, a highly subjective thing like pain or whether it's a really highly objective thing like powerlifting, we're always working in this interactive top-down strategies that we're constrained by and then building and generating this bottoms-up process that we begin to sort of juggle as we as we move forward. And And certain individuals, just to go even further, so now we're back to the BPS model, certain individuals respond really well to top-down strategies they do they 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 like to just be told what to do i just want to come in i don't give a fuck what you tell me to do i'm just going to do it like a like they just head down run through a wall get the shit done <laughs> whereas other athletes and i'm sure you've probably dealt with them other athletes they're not like that they they're a bit more inquisitive they're like well what if we tried this way do well let's let's tinker that a little bit Actually, you know what I did a program six months ago and I felt really good when I structured things like this and this. And I know it's not ideal, but I really believe that that was a really good thing. Can we explore that idea a little bit more? All of a sudden, this is like bottoms up strategies of just building this thing as it goes, better understanding of the belief system of the athlete, better understanding of their uh, their input, their confidence, their sort of uh, their, their control of this journey as opposed to just enforcing rules and constraints on top of an athlete and forcing them to mold into this objective idea of what you think is the most optimal. That yeah. would be how I would juggle those two.
1: Yeah. Ideas. I like that. It makes me think of a couple of things. One was um, my mentor or a mentor of mine who played a really big role in uh, moving me towards that model or that idea, even though I'd never heard that I'd never heard it termed that way a top down or bottom up. But Paul Cater has been on the show and he, he kind of runs his sessions. Um, I remember one time I was at his gym and he would do hour and a half sessions for athletic performance and the first hour was just bottom up. It was him improvising different ways to sprint, throw, uh, do different, um, uh, you could say movement prep but he a lot of it he would make rhythmic or to the music or it'd be interactive in terms of reacting to somebody else and so, it was this huge... and. I think with with his intuition and, and I run it uh, pretty similar nowadays uh, when I do do in-person sessions is I'll run that kind of bottom up and just see what's working as the athlete engaged. Um, and then even to the point where uh, I like Marv Marinovich was the other person I was going to mention. Actually, I didn't train with Marv. I trained with his brother, Gary, who was teaching the system and they would do a lot of um, uh, interactive sets where Gary would have um be like you'd be doing something on a physio ball, and Gary would be coaching you, and he'd be like, "Okay, now do a full rep, okay, now half rep now quarter reps, now full rep, and you'd have to do like on command whatever he was telling you to do, and then he would be watching the athlete, and then when he noticed quality was going down or he didn't like what it was you know he he felt like the he got as much out of that set as he needed, he would end it, and so i I've kind of taken that on as well, like I'll do a lot of things where I'll have a doll rod and have an athlete like jumping over it dodging it crawling over or under it and things like that just where you can kind of get this like bottom-up connection uh to to the client to the athlete where it's not just dictating um it's not just dictating things now you're actually an active participant and so mm. yeah it's it's interesting because but i i feel like it's it's tough sometimes cuz it's like well how do you quantify that how do you tell somebody oh yeah i did that many because <laughs> because xyz it's it's hard to really like say exactly why yeah. but, so
0: and and and, and just a, a continuation of that is uh and, and this is Mladen Yovanovich. so another uh do you know Mladen? Have Yeah. have you yeah. ever yeah. seen yeah, complementary training yeah, yeah, exactly so so he's got a fantastic, it's a free blog. It's not, it's not on his like paid site, but he discusses this like top down, bottoms up strategy for like S and C development. Uh, and then we, and, and now we're starting to enter like this dynamic systems sort of conversation, which I know Angus Bradley is very bullish on and, and like really pushes highly. But, um, if, if you, if, if you go into a situation and I've made this error as a coach, if you go into a situation with no rules and no constraints, And none of this sort of stuff. And you just feed purely bottoms up. And if we take it to the extreme, this would literally just Mm -hmm. be going into the gym and deciding on the day what we're going to be doing, how much volume we're going to be doing, how many sets we're going to be doing, how much, how many reps we're going to be doing, the exercises. We're literally just making it up and just seeing what happens in the session. Like if we become too bottoms up, it's very easy to get blinded and lost. And it's Mm -hmm. hard to get buy-in from your athlete because ultimately they're coming to you. Because you're the authority. They think you have the skill set, whether or not they're in your program because of school or whatever, or they've come and they've paid you money. They're coming to you because you are the authority on the situation. And we all have biases as coaches and experiences as coaches and beliefs as coaches as to certain interventions that will work more often than not. And this is where we begin to shape our sort of like program design and all of this as we develop as coaches we begin to build top down processes that we do ultimately fit athletes in but i think it actually is really important that we have some of these qualities that are pushing top down because it it allows like a structure and a foundation of what we're actually trying to build within so like going back to one of your coaches there like that med or, or like the 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 different squats and and the positions and all of that there would be an experience somewhere that he's identified hey this is actually a really interesting sort of play but it gives us an idea of where the client or the athlete needs to progress with their training or it might tell them do we need more of this quality or more of this quality or anything like that so having these top-down sort of um, well how would I how can I structure it like they're, they're kind of like foundational pieces in what we're actually trying to build out from a program design. And they form from our biases. They're formed from our experiences as coaches. But it's, it is important for client buy in because ultimately, they want to be told we're going in this direction. We're we're working towards this. We're doing yeah. this because of this. Um, and if we just come in two bottoms up and and just be like, hey, we're just going to be like, hey, we're just going to see how things are going. There's no timelines on our training blocks. There's no um, there's no like deload period coming up. We're just going to see how we're feeling and then make a decision. Sometimes you get a little bit lost and you're sort of just like, where are we actually headed? And most people want to know a small direction in front of them. Like, we're doing this for this reason. We're moving in this direction. So we can't just be completely subjective. We do need some objective structure in our training um, for client buy-in. And then also because we just know from experiences as coaches and, and our biases that certain things just work really well. And leaning into them and exploring those ideas are probably worth it because... I've seen it work with 99 percent of my clients, so why would it not work with this new person that just filmed, fills the avatar of who I normally work with? So uh, it's always this conversation of both. It's just that I think once you again once you zoom out and once you take a view of this whole system in place, it's just an understanding that I can bias my decision making to be more top-down, more rules, more constraints, more objective, or I can bias my decision making to be more subjective, more play more interactive with the client and building up from there. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. It makes me, it does make me think about, um, I think there's different, like you had said a while ago, there is different clients who um, they kind of prefer different amounts of that. Like Paul, who I mentioned, um, he would always have that top down piece that was written up at the end. So there was always that overload in mind, but how he got there was bottom up. He had mentioned to me that there was, like, if if he worked with military individuals, they were more (laughs) top-down. They wanted more structure. And and being able to recognize that is important. Even when I was at Cal, my swim teams were more top-down. We would do a little bit of fun stuff in the warm-up sometimes, but it was usually, it was, you know, maybe once a week, we would go do something that was on the turf, crawl based for the warm-up that was a little bit more fun and off the cuff. But... That wasn't um, that wasn't par for the course but then on the other hand I would have uh, the tennis team and they love to play like those guys those guys like to play substantially more than they like to hardcore train and but they're super competitive so we played other sports all the time for their warm-up sometimes we played for 30 minutes and then we'd go lift we always yeah. had that top down at the end but that was that was their thing and they they just wanted let's roll out the ball and they were way more warmed up doing than that than they would have been anything I, else.
0: And now if we loop all the way back to this whole biopsychosocial lens, so now we have taken the top-down bottoms up and we've put this, there's two examples that you've just given. One was the military people. When we think about the cultural influences of coming up and building your system of coaching and and management of athletes and clients in a military lens, is it any wonder that these people are incredibly top-down, they're incredibly rigid, they're incredibly structured, they're incredibly like, it is this way, this is the way to the future as opposed to this tennis world where, in contrast to military, that's incredibly, almost as top-down a system as you could get. It's all rules-driven. It's all you act this way, you make your bed that way, as opposed to a more free-flowing movement or, or, or idea or cultural expression of what that sport is. It's just another representation of this BPS model that influences people, that then biases their view and colours their lens and shifts the way in which they view and observe training. Not to say one's better or different or worse or anything like that. It's just two different representations of the same process of what training should become. One's just heavily cultural driven. The other one is uh, from that person, whoever built that system has a different lens because of their previous experiences as a coach, as a lifter, as an athlete, or anything like that. But it's just the same thing. It's always everything just fits back into this whole. We're all individuals, we're all being shifted and shaped by our experiences and our, our our previous um sort of yeah experiences as coaches, as lifters, as athletes. It's just people. It shapes the way we view and change uh changes our perspective into the future. Yeah.
1: yeah. In in a lot of ways, something like strength and conditioning or physical preparation, it's it's interesting because a lot of people talk about, especially in the scope of working with athletes, the limitations, the things that it can't do. You, you can't you, you can't get into the skills unless you do want to become a skills coach or or start learning about those elements of things. But at the same time, I do think it's interesting the commonalities, like the base root commonalities that you can address and learn about a lot of different people in a lot of different groups. And I think that's yeah. one of the helpful things working in strength training is the if you are working in strength training or strengthening conditioning, I do think it's helpful to work with as many groups as possible because you're working with more generalities a lot of times, but you're doing it across so many different belief systems and um, expectations. And I yeah, absolutely,
0: that- and there's um, I know uh, so Angus because no, we've got the, the common connection with Angus, but uh, N- same Taleb or whatever like this uh this anti-fragile this dynamic systems understanding of of what the human biological system is like it's it's complex it's consistently just sort of adapting and molding to the situations and the and the uh sort of the stresses that are applied to the system and we can never guarantee the outcome this top down bottoms up sort of view um it's not individual to just strength training and all of this so um, what I'm trying to get as, like, it's important to see within the industry in different contexts of, of different sports and different coaches and all of that. But it's also, I think, really important to then take a step out and view how other systems actually respond to to stimulus and, and all of that sort of stuff. And the, the most common one that, that is used is the economy um, and, and the, the the name Bridgewater. Who built Bridgewater? Do you know Bridgewater? I do. Oh, fuck, I'm going to have to look that up. But um, he, I'll, I'll have to look this up, uh, Bridgewater CEO, um, no, uh, founder. Sorry for everyone. Ray Dalio. Okay. Ray Dalio oh. wrote a really good book called Principles. Um, and it's this idea of, of the things that he's learned in sort of observing and uh, trying to, to be productive with economies at global scales, like global macro economy and investing and building a multi, multi, multi-billion dollar uh, investment fund uh, and all of this sort of stuff. And, and he has the exact same approach, top-down, bottoms-up, with how he manages his investment at, uh, at, a, at an economic level. Top-down for investing is an understanding that we're going through a certain cycle and things are going to be happening and we can kind of predict in a recession how things are going to react in a, in a, in a growth phase, how things are going to react. When we view from a top down perspective, we're constrained by those rules. However, at the end of the day, when we begin to make decisions with investing, pulling stocks, buying stocks and all of this, it is a bottoms up strategy that needs to come into play. Mm-hmm. And that is because it builds off the current information. It's not that we're trying to predict what's happening in the future, it's that we need to observe what's actually happening right now, take in a small amount of information and then make the best decision currently with what we want to do. So it's the exact same thing when we even view like these top-down rules, they apply to so many different things and, and how we interact with them as humans ultimately comes down to this bottoms-up management strategies of like pulling small information, small data pieces currently being receptive to this subjective experience that we're in and then making the best the best informed decision and whether or not we get that that experience within the industry at different coaches and different people or whether or not we start to zoom out and view well, what are some of these more mature industries looking at and how do they they all seem to come back to this sort of like bottoms up build it see what goes on draw some information get some data uh, and then make a more informed decision rather than trying to predict uh what a training cycle is going to look like in 10 12 6 months time if you ever tried to build an annual plan that shit doesn't work things change people get injured the the like the the, the head coach flips and they move on the high performance manager leaves all of a sudden we have got to rebuild this thing like if we're trying to plan and progress and, and 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 put this structure on it for too long it just it's never going to work so um i, I just really I, I really like this BPS sort of influence at this day-to-day level that, that that comes into play from like a bottoms up. And for those that are listening, I'm kind of always putting my hands like I'm juggling because that's how I view it in my head. It's like you're juggling all of these little variables and you're seeing how things are feeling and, and then making changes on the fly rather than just predicting, hey, this is our training block for the next six weeks. Go and do it. Listen to me because I've got experience, blah, 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 top down, top down, top down, top down. It just doesn't. I just don't like that. System at all. That's my experience. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It makes me think back of some of the swim coaches I worked with. Like they would have the workout on. They would have these whiteboards, and there'd be a workout on, or the warm up would be like on the front of the whiteboard, and then they'd be writing this. I, I think they had it ahead. They had it written out ahead of time, but they would be adjusting the second half of the workout based off of what they were seeing sometimes. So they'd be seeing it, and they'd be like, okay. Well, this is the objective. I think there was definitely a top-down. We do need to get to these sets, or these are key sets throughout the week. But at the same time, there was adjustments being made on the fly based off how the group was looking. Which I just think that, and like you said, I think it's also easy to stereotype, and we could easily stereotype like the personal trainer that's just you know basically like playing around the whole time with nothing that's getting overloaded, and it's all it's all entertainment, (laughs) you know, to the client or whatever. I think everyone's pretty that gets you know, thrown out there pretty regularly, but it's like, well, on the other side, there is that overly rigid, completely top-down, no bottom-up approach to things. And well, so, with that said, like, tell me a little bit about what would you look like or what would you look at for a good balance? Like, I, I obviously, like we talked about, right, there's different people who would want different yeah, yeah. amounts, but tell me some principles you're looking at, some, pra- like, practical ways that you would go about that or look at... Absolutely building to this into that. something, Yeah. yeah
0: so it's not just this esoteric discussion about fucking economy yeah absolutely so i think the first step in identifying that the current data the current information is influencing what we're doing is just rpe training like i think that in its in its most foundational setting of what is rpe it's just building self awareness in your athlete that's all it is in my in my lens that's all i'm trying to do and it's then trying to building a scale, so a 10 to 0, for trying to communicate that idea of how hard that training, that piece of training was. So I think at at its core, RPE training is the first step to building self-awareness. And if we build self-awareness, we can then get better, more informed information from our athlete, and then that can inform our future decision-making. So within a session, it would just be, you could ramp RPE sets. So, all right, we know that we need to do four sets of squats today because last week we did four that were productive. We're not going to add volume. We're going to stick with four, a little bit of top down. We're, 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 we're constraining sets. However, we're going to ramp the RPEs. We're going to go an RPE six, seven, eight, and nine. And the six, the set of six, when we speak to the athlete, how was that? Was it too easy, too hard? Where do you think it was? as a result of expectations, as a re- result of last week's data, all of that sort of stuff, informs the load selection for seven. And then the the result at seven informs the load selection for the RPE eight. And then the RPE eight informs the load selection of RPE9. And on a day where things are well, they're confident, they're feeling good, they're 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 just the sun's shining, they've been outside, they've got all this influence to show that today's the day the wave's big, today's the day we're surfing. The six is telling us, oh, we can reach the seven a little bit, higher load selection. We can reach the eight a little bit, higher load selection. And then all of a sudden, the RPE9 high intensity is a PR set or something like that. So that would be, the, I think, the easiest way in which we just begin to apply like a bottoms up strategy. It's the, infu- it's the influence of the current data, what we're feeling, what we're seeing, the person that walked through the door for the session. We're still constrained and got some top down. We're doing squats. We're doing four sets. They're going to be hard sets. We're progressing to a high intensity. We're looking to push the envelope a little bit. However, we're still a little bit reactive. We're still agile. We're thinking, how was that six? How was that seven? Oh, you know what? My back's feeling a bit tight. Mm, maybe we're not going to hit too hard. We're going to pull this back a little bit from what our planned load selection was. So I th- I feel like that's the easiest way in which we can begin to build bottoms up strategy. Other ways, and I learned this from Luke Tulloch. Obviously, I, I kind of knew this myself, but then Luke Tulloch, I don't know if you know that name, but um, he uh, he had a seminar at the gym and he was talking about this like, um, this like intimate sort of like connection with actually getting a client to be uh, sort of included in program design strategy and actually like when they have an impact on the program, they're more likely to want to do it and push themselves yeah. and all of that because they've made some decisions. Um, there's a lot of research that's now supporting that. That idea is just another strategy in which you may build client buy-in through these bottoms-up strategies. So you may have your, your primary lifts constrained. So we're doing squat. We're doing bench. It's this, this, and this. We're using RPA, this, this, and this. However, then we, when we get to like the accessory supplementary things, all of a sudden, it's maybe it's split squat of choice. And you yep. give them four exercises. You can do an SSB Hatfield. You can do a dumbbell walking lunge. You can do a rear foot elevated or you can do a high bar fucking whatever, front foot elevated. And they have the choice in which they can do it. They're still going to be doing three sets of 10 at a high intensity and eight. However, they've got autonomy and selection and a little bit, ah, I really want to push this. The other guys are doing the hat fields. There's a fucking leaderboard on the wall now. I really want to get my name on the leaderboard. I'm going to push that. I want to do that for a block of training or something like that. That would be another example of how we could actually Build in a little bit of this bottoms up thing. We're still constrained, however, within the constraint we've got options. We can navigate. We can change. We can modify. Um, and I think just just one one step further to this would be, in the flip, if we take that exact same example um, and go like really rigid, really top down with an athlete, and we say to them like, this is the only way you could do it. We we have to be doing. Um, let's say Hatfield SSB, but all their friends and everyone else, you got a junior athlete, everyone else has a rear foot elevated split squat. And you're the only person in the gym doing this Hatfield sort of variation. It it just very quickly you start to see how this person probably isn't going to be training as hard. They're not going to have as much mm-hmm. buy in. They're probably not going to push their variables as much. They're seeing all the fun that their mates are having over there. And then they're in the corner just doing their own selecting, you're probably better off just being like fucking oath. Go and jump in there because you're going to get a better training experience just by this social sort of psychological influence undertone that actually drives what we're actually doing. So um, I I like the idea of having clients, having input and and building these programs with them and taking on their experiences and their belief systems because ultimately it does impact the outcomes that we see. Um, So that would be two two of the main strategies. Another another really good one uh, is this idea of like deloads um like when do we structure deloads do we be proactive with deload selection do we do reactionary deload selection and wait and see if we've got enough data to tell us that we need to deload our training or do we proactively plan one to be 4 or 5 weeks in the future and we hit four uh, successive training sets or sessions or or weeks and then we drop down like that idea i think can have a little bit of play within it and, yeah. and a little bit of like, all right, let's see how we're going and progressing because I'd hate to be the type of coach that we're progressing really, really well. And then week five was great. And then at week six was a planned deload, but the athlete only just realized what we're trying to do with the set progression. And then all of a sudden, they, we know they could have had a really good week in week six. And then we just rip them down with a deload and, and pull them back. And then it's just like, well, I think we missed an opportunity to To move there, so like a bit of reactionary with deload strategies and and structuring in that way, I think could be another uh, another important sort of discussion as well. Yeah, yeah. But ultimately, you could do that with any variable. You could you could you can step back and be like, how many hard sets are we going to be doing today? It's three or four, and we just see how the performance is, or how many accessory movements, or how long is our endurance work at the end? Is it twenty minutes, thirty minutes, or forty minutes? Let's see how we're feeling throughout. Like there's ways in which we I think we can sort of be reactive within our strategies.
1: Yeah. I I feel like um I I'd imagine you'd agree with me on this, but the more bottoms up your program is based, obviously we still need to have an objective reality, <laughs> lest we yeah. be a um not have like a, a, a glass to pour our water into. The water just goes everywhere. But yeah. I feel like programs that do well with bottoms up don't need to deload as much. Like if you're just top down, it's almost like inevitably you will hit a a wall and need it, just maybe mental monotony too. Like just like, and just not, uh, There's I think there's something to that. I I think on that, some examples, I think one is, I know the swim coaches that I've worked with it was kind of funny. I was always like in my head as a strength coach, like, all right, this is a, I would tell them, I'd be like, all right, this is a deload week. And it's like, they're like, oh, what's not, they're not like, we're not like, what's a deload week? But they just don't, that's just not, they basically go and then there's like a little vacation in the schedule and then the kids get time off or something. But they're so like every day kind of working with those pieces. I don't think it was as important to them. Not that they didn't, the kids didn't eventually get those unloads, but it wasn't, I think it's a lot more common when it's like, prescribe write absolutely everything for a month and do it all just like this and then yeah by the time you get done with that you probably do need to deload but as I found or even just something like playing basketball or football or soccer like how many times do people are people just just playing sports and be like yeah we've you know we've played soccer for three weeks now and I think we should deload this part (laughs) because soccer, it's just like there's so much more going on in a game too that's you know, it's different than lifting, of course, but I, I just think that the more that you can uh, integrate those bottom-up elements, you can still train, it doesn't mean you don't train hard, it just means that the response is more appropriate and I think also the way athletes perceive the load changes and I think it, the way you perceive the load, usually I, I don't think you really have to deload until you start to perceive that you're sucking, you know, oh, like this sucks, yeah. I'm getting the so, weights, you know.
0: Yeah. So there's two things I want to add to this. So first, if and again, it, it, it's a mistake that we've made at Strength Culture with me and my coaches and, and the athletes that we've helped over the last seven years. But if you go in with no top-down direction and it's just a purely bottoms up and it's very difficult to get buy-in, but also the client or the athlete can feel lost. It's like, what am I actually trying to do here? If it's just, if it's a varied sets, it's varied reps, it's a varied exercise selection, it's a varied intensity with RPE, like everything is just like this loose target of what I'm trying to hit. It can be very difficult to prepare for that session um, as opposed to constraining a few things and being like, no, we're doing low bar squats, we're doing four hard sets, we're ramping this six, seven, eight, nine. 9. A really good way that you can add a little bit more top-down strategy would be giving them sort of like a load selection range where it's like, I want your third or fourth set to be within 200 to 210 kilos. Like Judging by our previous few weeks of data, that's sort of the target we're going to be in. And we know that it's either going to be a really good day, we're going to be pushing that 210, or it might just be a normal day of training and we're sitting at 200 to 205. But there's still progression built in from the previous week where we can layer on a little bit. I think that's another really important thing to to note is that we're not going into the sessions with just a blank canvas. And we just mm-hmm. get there and see what paint starts coming out. Like, it's not that. There's still rules and constraints within the session. And that that's quite often the the the, the mark against RPE training is that, oh, you, you don't even know where you're gonna be. Like, it could be anything, blah, blah, blah. Well, it's no, we're, we're obviously, we're trying to productively constrain it as much as it's needed so that we can still see how the client um, sort of adapts within this. But then the second part to that is what you said at the end there, which is this idea of load management. And most, I, I honestly believe this, that anybody has an, whether they're beginner, intermediate, or advanced, has an innate awareness of, am I doing too much? Do I need to be doing more? Do I need to be doing less? Was that set hard enough? Like, if we think about when we all first walked into the gym, like, what was your experience when you started training? Like, do you remember the first time, like the first month of training you ever did? Like structured training. Do you remember what it was?
1: The, oh. Um, the first one ever was uh my senior year of high school. I finally took the strength and conditioning class and it was like the Husker Power split. Husker I remember power. I remember pretty well. I actually yeah. cheated the split though, because I felt like I was like, This split wants me to squat hard twice a week and deadlift hard twice a week and I'm playing basketball. I was like, no way. So I cheated. I I <laughs> two days a week I went hard and then the other two days I kind of waited until the coach wasn't looking or just did less weight or something like that.
0: Perfect. So you built in a bottoms up strategy for this top down Husker power program that was in. You identified for yourself, even though you had no experience training, but you were like, fuck, my legs are cooked. If I do too much of this squat shit, my basketball performance is going to be lower and I can't do this. It's innate within us that when we start this process of training, that we we begin to build these self-awareness qualities of this is too hard i'm on my yeah. throttle gear i'm not confident i'm losing confident i'm losing my belief i think i'm going to get injured but like it and it starts this as opposed to being like this is way too easy hey coach can i put some more load yeah. on hey coach is it can i do some extra shit here like this is way like all this self-awareness is in us when we enter this physical training realm that i think it's just trying to 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 constrain and better understand what load is to an individual, and then getting them to provide productive, constructive sort of review of how training is going. So, like end of block training reviews, I think are really important, and getting the information from the client to be like, hey, I actually think I can push my lower body training more. Like, I'm feeling really productive. I feel like I'm progressing. I would actually like to see a little bit more. Awesome. Let's add some of that stuff in and build into that process. As opposed to you as the coach just sitting on your high chair being like, "Ah oh, yep, we're gonna add twenty percent load this this next block because uh, that's what I believe and you're a weak person and blah 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 so I feel I feel like this it's innate in us to better understand our own self-awareness so you're trying to as a coach or at least I believe ultimately your end goal is just to build as much self-awareness in a, in an athlete as possible so that they can see when the time to push more is, when the time to pull back is when to be vocal about, hey, this is working, this is not working. I actually believe this might be better for me. Like Trying to build processes and strategies to get that self-awareness out of clients rather than just pushing them in a box and saying, no, shut up. Mm -hmm. We're doing an extra set. We're doing more weight and all of that sort of stuff. Like I feel like that self-awareness quality is so important to the progression of training um, that I ultimately think that it is the most important variable. Um, is this this idea of just like an awareness of yourself and where you're at and what you're capable of and 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 we're just guiding that intuition and and trying to build some strategies around it to support it and let it flourish and let it grow and and, and all of that sort of stuff and adding our expertise on it and building it as it goes. Like, there's, I, I hate when people say RPE training shouldn't be used for beginners. It's like, how did every single person get started in the gym? They walked in. They did some bench press because that's what Arnold did. <laughs> it was too li- it was too light. So they put more weight on the bar and then they wanted to get six reps, but they only got five and they thought, fuck, that was too heavy. So they took some weight off and then they eventually found that this feels good. Actually, this feels too easy. I'm going to add another set next week. And then it's like, oh, but I really want to be doing more for my triceps. All right, I'm going to go hit some tricep. I can't do it before, so I'm going to do it after because it will impact my performance on my bench press and I really care about my bench press. I'm going to do four sets of bench and then I'm doing four sets of triceps. And then all of a sudden you add more triceps in and it impacts your bench. So then you pull the triceps back. And and this is just how we started with training. Like everybody starts in this way. Um, so why can't we just build this in from the start and build this self-awareness and constrain it and build it productively with people from the get-go? Um, like I just, yeah, I'm just really not top down.
1: Yeah, yeah. No. And, I mean, I, I think you had said or alluded to the coach as the guide or the facilitator, and I think the coach as the dictator is purely top down. The you know the maybe the coach who is not you know if it's purely bottom up, there's no structure. But the coach as a facilitator finds that balance of having the organizational structure to overload, but then is bottom up in leading the athlete on their own journey. I know a common yeah. thing that I would do, I didn't use I use RPE a lot more in my online programs. In person, a lot of times I would um I remember at Cal would just commonly give athletes ranges. I'd be like, okay, hey, I want the yep. lift in this Perfect. this this weight range. And they the athlete would get to because you have to give the athletes some room to select. And like you said, when you first start benching, you know, you start kind of like, oh, that was easy. Put more weight on. Oh, now it's too heavy. And you can't deny athletes some level of that learning process. I mean, that's really important that they learn And ultimately, an athlete's going to do their absolute best when they have learned for their own body exactly what to do or at least in the close enough ballpark of what to do at what given time because I'm not that athlete and I can't, I don't know what they're feeling, I don't know what their body's feeling. And I also, if you're working with an athlete who has basketball practice later or football, you're also not in their body when they go and do their sport afterwards. So, and they know, you know, just trusting that they know, like you have to be able to, you know, and there's, there's different times where maybe there's mental barriers or breakthroughs or whatever, but a lot of times just being able to put the trust in the athlete that they know how they're going to take this into their sport or whatever the next thing is, is pretty powerful. So, I always had good success yeah. giving that range too. And oh, the last thing I'll just say is too, is like you mentioned, um, I was going to ask you, well, I'll ask you this later, but a lot of times I would almost put the range low because you almost want them to select the high end on their own. Like, oh yeah, you know, and, and that gives them that, oh yeah, I'm, I'm hitting the high end of the range today. You feel good about well, it, you know?
0: Take a step back, back to the bi- biopsychosocial. You're, you're manipulating psychology. You're manipulating and giving them a win so that they feel yes. more bought into the, like we're just back into that first thing where you've identified your experience. When I give these guys low ranges. They select these higher mm-hmm. weights yeah. and they feel better about themselves. They're hitting it. There's nothing worse than when you write a, a fresh program for a new client. And then after the first session, you're like, actually, you know what? We're going to pull this back. We're going to pull this back. There was too much mm-hmm. work. We overshot everything. Imagine, and, and this is the same with like assessment process, like the old fucking FMS shit, where we we take an athlete, an athlete who their whole life has been an athlete. They've been athletic. They've been winning things. They've been doing athletic things. And we put them in this stupid standardized top-down objective testing and look for failure. We're literally observing and trying to find where they're failing and then mark it on our little sheet and be like, yeah, you suck at this, you suck at <laughs> this, you suck at this. What are you doing to the psyche of that person? Like, as opposed to being like, hey, let's come in day one, show me how you squat. Bam, bam. Cool. I just want you to try this a bit better. Yep. Shift your center of mass a little bit. Cool. Awesome. Awesome anterior load blah 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 whatever we're doing and all of a sudden we can build and grow from there like you're giving wins to the athlete as opposed to just starting with a hammer and just forcing them down and and smacking their psyche because we think that these highly objective top-down strategies so like that's a a perfect example of how this whole thing at least in my brain Mm -hmm. fits together um with the bps model this top-down bottoms up strategy as well um yeah like it's. I think it is just purely all-encompassing. Like, I really do.
1: Yeah. In some ways, it's like a purely top-down or you could call it a dictator-type pure top-down model only leaves room for the athlete to fail, whereas a bottom-up, it prioritizes the athlete getting wins. And I mean, there's been good... um, I need to find this study because I've almost heard a few different things. I was just talking with Angus Ross about it and he had mentioned... Well, basically, it was like a a sprinting study. And these athletes... I first heard it with Rafe Kelly at his retreat. And it was like these athletes, there's three groups and one athlete or one group was sprinting and they were told they ran slower than they did. One group was told their actual time and one group was told they ran faster than they did. Maybe there wasn't even the middle group. <laughs> I think Angus had said that maybe one group ran an extra meter or something or I don't know. But anyways, long story short is the group that felt like they were winning, the group that was told they were faster than they were, ended up running the fastest when they were actually timed in a normal time and so it just it just goes to show just how important how the athlete perceives the training getting those wins as they go along is it's really critical it's like you know and versus uh, like you said with the fms it's like rather than starting with winning let's start with losing <laughs> let's start <Yeah. laughs> I just think how that's poor really you
0: do everything here yeah. we go this is why you're broken and it's just like what 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 are we doing like what are we actually doing here yeah I like that idea. And, and I think a competent coach, someone that has experience, and 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 there might be younger coaches who are listening to this who are who are really struggling to understand how this thing actually builds out productively in training without just having a blank canvas in front of you. But I think as you become more experienced as a coach, you can build those wins creatively into your programming yeah. strategy where you had a, a a low, you had a range, but it was low. So they they hit those higher ranges, and they probably felt better, and that that led to a little bit more, like sort of, I'd just call it the G up of training, like feeling good, feeling confident, wanting more, and doing more. more. Like that would be one sense, or this idea of education of around like ramping your RPEs and using the current loads and the current performance to feed and push and giving them a reach target. Like you can creatively build these strategies to create wins within your clients. Um, and I think it's yeah I, th- I think it's a no brainer once you start to understand these models in actual practical application um how creative you can really become with all of this sort of stuff,
1: yeah yeah absolutely yeah. it's uh it's it's just it's so cool too the conversations that just have to do with i mean it's so it's very easy and i I've enjoyed poring over books with all the technical models and, and, and I still do even like, uh, looking at like Chico's, like how you undulate the week and make the week variable and stuff like that. It's more, maybe it's more natural. And like, so I, I get, you know, I, I still am intrigued by a good nuts and bolts of the top down type or the structure conversation, but
0: absolutely, man. me I, too. I,
1: I think uh, maybe, yeah, maybe that could be our, our next chat, but it's, it's just, I think it's just so good to constantly be reinforcing these principles because they they're not just an afterthought you know they're they're like you said it's like these three concentric circles they all interplay are constantly interplaying with each other with that result you're going to get
0: so yeah and you you, uh, there's a just a really good it's a pay i hate like citing research i'm not i'm definitely not one of those people but there's a really good paper called an inactive approach to pain beyond the biopsychosocial model and it, it there's this narrative sort of like introduction with how um, how we got to our current understanding of the BPS model in its application for pain, um, and it, it, it runs through like the history of our understanding from a human consciousness related to pain. So like, where did our first sort of understanding start? And I think that it goes through this period of like witches thinking that you could like like spell and and like like meditate or something like somebody out of pain and like uh, so like very psychological sort of spiritual and then eventually it it, like in the 70s it got challenged by George Engel to be uh, it's not this purely biological physical manifestation of something there is this layered on sort of superimposed psychological impact that pain has on the person and, and, and the progression of whether or not things are improving or not, do we use medicine? And then all of a sudden surgeries became really popular. And then now we've like transitioned into like, oh, hang on, there's this BPS sort of understanding. They challenge even the BPS, like th- those Venn diagrams, those three Venn diagrams, they take it even a little step further because, and I think this is the biggest problem with the BPS model, is that thinking that you can just pull these things apart, and I know we've alluded to it a lot, but it, it it even goes a step further in, in it's that the human is the human and you can't interact with a physical input without affecting a psychological sort of strategy for that individual. Mm-hmm. And, and in the same sense, you challenge their psychological stuff. It has a physical manifestation representation that it objectively comes out as well. You give them more confidence, they select a the higher load. You give them less confidence, you make them think about their lower back. They select mm-hmm. the lower load. Like we see these representations all the time. So they're always, like I can't stress this enough. If you're if you if you're just learning this, like I'm speaking to the people that are listening, but if you're just learning this stuff, how integrated and it's connected, they're not these separate things that we can just pull apart. And they're always, as soon as you make a physical decision, it impacts all the other areas. As soon as you make a psychological intervention, a cue, a focus shift, anything like this, it changes everything. Like we're we're manipulating all of it all at once.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We didn't even get into the social and culture really today either. I mean, that's a whole another podcast.
0: Yeah. Well, it's yeah. Exactly. It's it's. But I think we kind of did a little bit. Like the the military idea. Like yeah. that's very cultural. That's cultural driven. As opposed to um, like even I think there would just be separate sports. There are a lot more cultural like Olympic weightlifting in my head would be a very like. When you subscribe to it when you when you go to one coach or one institute, you learn a very particular technique and you fit into this mold of the technique as opposed to going to somebody who uh like a sport like tennis or swimming that seems to be a lot more like hang, hang on, we're a little bit more athlete centered and 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 all of that sort of stuff like that's all cultural expectation and 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 sort of uh impact as well so I think we touched on it a little bit there,
1: yeah. Yeah, definitely. With like, yeah, the military and the tennis and different groups like that. Yeah, I was yeah, thinking about yeah. it more from the perspective of also like, like you could just say the energy in the gym. What's the vibe in the gym? You know, or, oh, or yeah, 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 like absolutely. that kind of thing. Or like, uh, like Tony Holler talking about doing like a gauntlet forty, where people run the forty yard dash, but they line the track and like clap for them, you know, and cheer, and people will run. Like a lot of people run personal bests, like stuff yeah. like that. Like, you know, I always think about, you know, it's almost like if you're laying out your training plan, if you're rewriting university for. A, coaches like how do you it's like what are your usually you just write the physical right all right well here's my training plan you know 60 70 80 that's a five or whatever but it's like all right what's my what is my bio plan what is my mental plan how the athlete will perceive and gain wins through this what is my social cultural plan and how do i make it maximally conducive training environment and i yeah i would see that too with like these, a lot of teams in college, like there would be like a lot of senior-led like or pods with like a senior and there'd be like small groups and there'd be culture throughout the team and just making sure that that's a win too. And a lot of people don't look at that as that also contributes to not only how fast you run or swim or whatever, but it also is your experience with the group and yeah. the meaning you got out of it. So, I just think, yeah, all these things are really important. And so, uh, yeah, I, I I think, um, yeah, we could certainly have, um, you know, the, I, I mean, shoot, I want to almost see like a big chart of it all now, you know, like kind of put it together. But uh, I know our time's kind of running out here. I, we didn't get to the compression and expansion, which would have been fun, but I think it's not kind of nice to leave the show in the container that it was. Uh, and so, for people to learn more about you, or I know you do mentorships, or how can people find yeah. more about um, you and what you're up to, Jamie?
0: Yeah, um. Just on that, I I also I know we said it earlier, but I love an intricately detailed discussion about like a very particular like expansion compression. Like I love <laughs> like learning about that and like seeing how this thing fits. But uh, and even like uh, like a lot of the bodybuilding, like like all that all that sort of stuff. Like I see is very like biological, like physical manifestation of what it is. But ultimately, how does it actually dictate and mm-hmm. influence this whole thing? Like I love all those discussions as well. I'm not just this like. Uh, yeah, I just want to put that out there. People think BPS if people specialist. Think like, yeah, yeah, no. Like I can, I, 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 love PRI. Like PRI, I was like, I've been deep in there. Um, and then obviously like the evolution of that to Bill Hartman and, and all of that sort of stuff. Like I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I love talking about those things as well. Um, it's just how does this whole thing fit together? But where can people learn about me? Um, just Instagram would probably be the easiest place. My gym, Melbourne Strength Culture, uh, website or or anything. We're on. We've got a podcast, we've got a YouTube channel, Instagram, just search that. My Instagram though is j.smith.culture, because trying to find any handle with J Smith is, is that, yeah. a challenging time. Yeah, <laughs> so Jay Smith. You know right, well. Yeah.
1: That, we were joking <laughs> before we got on the podcast here about, um, we were joking about the, the four different Jay Smiths or even Jamie Smith or James Smith that we all knew. James so, Smith. Yeah. yeah
0: yeah yeah there's there's so many of us and it it makes finding an email or a handle for social media quite difficult um but yeah j smith or j.smith.culture um you can you can find me there and happy to chat i've got mentorships running i I do in-person stuff i do some online stuff um all sorts of ways in which we can chat if you wanted to yeah
1: awesome well thank you again jamie it was really great talking to you
0: no thank you for having me on i really appreciate it
1: Thanks for tuning in to another episode. Appreciate you being here. And if you want to help us out, you can leave this podcast a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, whatever you're listening to the show on. I definitely appreciate that. And we'll see you all next week.